Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Hi, everyone. Marian's going to join us here. Welcome, Marian. Happy Mother's Day to all of you out there and all of these ladies here. It's a great day to celebrate. Amen. Amen. I think at first we're just going to introduce ourselves and we're going to tell everybody who our children are and how old they are, whatever you want to say. Hi, I'm Laura Ty McPhee. My kids are 13 and 15. My name is Carrie Verhul. Uh, we have four Emma, Cassidy, <laughs> little nervous, Jack, and Lila. <laughs> I really didn't forget you guys. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sandra oh, Wesley, and I have four children, Leanne, gosh. Laura, Daniel, and Amanda, and I have four grandchildren, Alicia, Noel, Justin, and Jamari. Nice job. I wrote mine down. <laughs> <laughs> we have four kids. You didn't say ages either. James is 52, Chris would be 50, Shelby 45, and Mitchell 41. Wow. No idea how that happened. <laughs> Eight grandchildren, 29 to 6, and four great-grandchildren, 11 to nearly 3. Awesome. You can just hold that, Marian. Oh, sorry. I didn't write mine down because it's the only thing I can remember, but I have the rest <laughs> of my notes. <laughs> Marion, we'll start with you. Do you want to let us know what your favorite thing about being a mom is? Being with the kids. When, when I was planning my, well, I guess we would call it a career now, but it was only going to be a job ever, I chose to be a teacher so that I could be home when my kids were home. Awesome. What was the question? <laughs> what do you love about being a mom, Sandra? Um, I love loving my children and living life with them every day and being a family. How about you, Laura? I have to say, watching your kids grow into decent human beings is really gratifying. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes being a mom, and it wasn't really what I wanted to do in my 20s. I never, ever felt that I was called to be a parent. But then in my early 30s, God completely changed my heart and changed my husband's heart, and um, I had two kids in like my mid-30s, and I just think to myself, my life would not be what it is without them. I'm so glad that God changed my heart. Hold that. I got this thing. Okay. <laughs> um, my favorite thing about being a mom, a whole bunch of things came into my head, just little things. Of course, the first thing would be unconditional love, both ways. Um, snuggles, kisses, being called mama. I love mama. <laughs> Um, homemade letters and cards, watching them grow. Oh, golly. <laughs> Thanks. No, lots of good things. All right, Laura, we'll start back with you. What do you feel like is the most difficult thing about being a mom? I had a person say this to me probably about 10 or 15 years ago, and, and I kind of thought, man, that's, that's kind of a simple statement, but it was very profound. Um, it's been my experience that it's very difficult to be a mother and a working mother. Um, I've always worked full-time out of the home, and, and that's 
that's just the way I'm wired. And that's part of the reason I never wanted to have a family because that just wasn't what I felt God had for me. Um, but then when he changed my heart in my early 30s, I felt, you know what, I feel like I can be, effect I can be an effective mother. You know, th these are conversations that Chris and I had that if, if we were going to have kids, it was going to be a team effort. Like we were partners. Um, so if I did go back to work full time, I know that he was in my corner and we were both working to raise a family. And um, it all worked out, every single detail. Uh, so I was able to be a successful parent and successful in my career, and, and God has used me in both places. And uh, I love my kids desperately, and um, I just have such a joy with them. So it, it is a balancing act, and uh, I do fall short <laughs> a lot, but I think that's one of the beautiful things about um, humility is you learn to own when you fall short and you you ask for forgiveness and you role model that to your kids, that it's okay to make mistakes. It's how you deal with that and how you learn from that. And, um, yeah. Way to go, Laura. She just jumped in. She didn't even know the questions. Look at her go. <laughs> wow. I'll pass that along. I think for myself, I guess we'll go back in order. Um, for myself, one of the most difficult things about being a mom is probably saying no when everybody else in the world seems to say yes. I think that's definitely a challenge for a mom. It's very easy to say yes, but when you want to raise your family to honor God and you want your household to glorify God, there's a lot of no's that have to be said in their heart. That's true. Um, I just found being consistent every day was hard. Yes. Um, there's, there's no vacation and no retirement from being a mom. You just keep on forever. <laughs> yeah, so, amen. <laughs> so to be consistent every day to, to try and, and model um, what, what you want them to see, to try and teach them the values that you want to, to have, it's just, it's just every day. Mm -hmm. huh. My kids don't always get me. <laughs> and, and, and they they don't seem to understand the reasons why I'm doing things, which I guess means they don't get me. My bottom line is always love them. We found as teen when when we were at, as our ch children got to be teenagers, which as you can see was took a long time. Unconditional love. We just said, God. So what do we do now? Just love them unconditionally, like I do. You can keep that, Marianne. Well, I'll have to wait till she tells us what the next question is. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read the next one because it's, <clears throat> I won't say it properly. Prior to becoming a mom, Marianne, what expectations, hopes, and dreams did you have that were not at all what mothering turned out to be? I am the oldest of girl of five children. I didn't have any expectations. I knew what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Very good point. <laughs> you knew the reality. So I, I tried not to dream their dreams. What I really wanted, and I still want for them, is just to be good people that I can be friends with. When James was just tiny, we visited my grandmother in Georgia, and she said, I want you always to remember, Marion, you're not raising your son, you're raising a husband mm -hmm. and eventually a mother. Absolutely. Well, I was a middle child, so I did have a few. 
And I saw mistakes that other people made, and I thought, oh, I'm not going to make any of those mistakes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be perfect, and wow. my children are going to be perfect. Way to go. <laughs> and how did that work? <laughs> well, it says. <laughs> yeah. The, what you thought was going to be true is, is not. And we made many mistakes along the way, both myself and my children. And... Um, it was, it was a real learning mistake, and it was not just their character that was being built, it was mine as well. Mm, that's very true. Mm -hmm. I just laughed because I didn't have any expectations of even being a mom. Like, that was not what I was wired. Like, I didn't, I babysat a little bit when I was younger, but that was not, like, I didn't have a heart for children, I really didn't like them, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> so when Chris and I got married, we were married for seven years before God changed our hearts and we wanted to have kids. And um, I guess I guess what I've learned is that there's, I, I don't believe that one size fits all. I, I guess I believe that there's many versions of family. Um, I, I am not I, I couldn't even cook up until two years ago, to be quite frank. Like, I am not a traditional stay-at-home mom. Um, I applaud you if that's where you feel God wants you. That's never been what I've wanted. I've always wanted to have a career. And I am not a traditional mother. Like, I wasn't cooking and baking and cleaning. And, um, yeah, I, I, like, my husband was very good. He, like, he, was, he decided that he would do the cooking. And our partnership was that I would do the cleaning. And we both did the child rearing. And these are conversations that we had so that before we entered into having a family, we kind of knew what the expectations were. And I, I believe that you give people roles based on their strengths. So, you know, there's some things that I do when I do well. So I kind of had those up. And there's things that he does better than me. So, you know, we kind of get him to do that. So I just, I, I just think that, you know, you can have a non-traditional family and, you know, when you love your kids and you're doing right by them, it'll, it'll work. And these are conversations that you just make sure that everybody has a clear expectation of what the role is. And uh, now that I do cook, I, I kind of have to make meals here and there, <laughs> but I think it's really important to, uh, you know, role model that nothing is cookie cutter. We live in a very diverse world and what works for one family doesn't work for another family. And we got to, we got to let go of those judgments and, and, you know, just love and respect that everybody's in a different battle. We're all called to different things and we just got to, you know, love our kids and, and show them who Christ is and uh, raise them right. You can hold that. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I guess the Lord put it in my heart from when I was Lila's age that I, I wanted to be a mom. That's what I knew I wanted to be. So opposite of Laura, I guess, in that way. Um, but I always say I'm living the dream because he gave me four beautiful children, and I love being a mom. But in all of that, in the, when they're small especially, when all the dirty diapers are coming and you've got your baby on your shoulder and you're being thrown up on and you're scrubbing toilets and doing dishes... You can kind of get lost in all that and wonder what you were thinking. <laughs> what were you thinking? And is this really what the Lord had for me? I know I struggled with, I can't wait till I can get out in the world and do something. Can't wait to get out there and really make a difference. But God said, you are. <laughs> Sorry. Josh, you should know when you ask me that there's always tears. 
Okay, ladies, what frustrates you about the way our culture has depicted motherhood? I guess what I just said. Do you want to do you want to add to that, Marian? <laughs> I can't wait till this is over and I can get out and do it the real world. Right. Yeah. Which which leads me to mine. I I was a teacher, and when our youngest was on the way, I said, I think I'd like to quit and start raising my own kids instead of everybody else's. Teaching had gone about where it is now. I could see where it was headed anyway. But after I was home and people would, you know, you get phone calls, even then we got, we had telemarketers and, and surveys constantly. And so somebody would call and they would say, and what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a housewife, which to me was like the best in the West. And, and they, oh, and you could hear it in their voice, only a housewife? And I would get so frustrated. Well, mm-hmm. then our youngest daughter-in-law had breast cancer. So their ba- parenting had to be put off. And they didn't even really know, apparently with chemo and radiation and everything, if they would even be able to have children. So when she finally got pregnant and she told them at work, she is also a teacher, and they said, well, do you think that's a good career move? Mm-hmm. And I still just want to cry when I think about that. And, and when I was talking to Connie to tell her that I was going to do this, and she said, well, they really did. I said, I know. I wouldn't have known it if you hadn't told me. To me, that's the worst thing in the world. Mm. When, when being home with your children was the best thing in the world. Mm. Thanks, Mary. Oh. <sighs> we started our family right away when we got married, and I've always loved being a mom. I've always loved the time that I've had home with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see being a mom as anything great or important sometimes because it's every day, it's, it's all the little things, it's the repetitious drudgery sometimes, and sometimes we're just overwhelmed and we don't know how we're going to go on. And I just find that the world puts no value on that, um, that we're not contributing to society. Um, They've taken away the importance of our role. And when we buy into that, our children are being raised by other people and they don't always have the same values as, as we do. And I find that's a, a really difficult point. And I think we need to remember how important it is to raise our family. And in light of Josh's sermon last week, talking about building foundations, mm. we are building our children's foundations and we are building the foundation of the next generation. Mm-hmm. I guess it's been my experience from what I've seen is there's, there's just a general devaluation of women's contribution in families. And I guess it, it kind of bothers me. Like I've stayed home with my kids when I was on maternity leave. And if you were compensated for cooking the meals, rearing the children and cleaning the house, you probably make more money than your husband who's out earning the wage. Like, let, let's be real, right? Like the, the work, it's still work. 
It's yeah. just unpaid, unrecognized. You don't get a break. You don't get sick benefits. So, you know, work is work. So I guess I, I find it a little troublesome that there is such a devaluation. And whether it's the mother that stays home or the father, like whatever works for your family. I guess I just think that we just have to have a little bit of grace for each other and respect for differences. You know, I love my kids every bit as much, whether I stay home or I work, I'm still going to do right by them. You know, I still am going to have to cook. I'm still going to rear them. I'm, I'm earning money to the successful running of my household. Everybody's got different needs. And, and that's why you sit down and you have these conversations with your partner and you figure out, well, what does this look like? What do we need financially? But, you know, being a parent, mom or a father, it's not just, oh, I earned a paycheck. You, there's a lot more involved. And I think that nowadays with just how the way the world has been, you know, some people don't get the luxury of staying home with their kids. But if that's what you're called to do and that's where God wants you amen. That's fantastic. If God has put something different in your heart and you're called to work outside the home and still be a mom, good for you. I just think that we need to support each other and encourage each other. And so whatever that, that, that devaluation is going on in the world, it, it shouldn't be going on here. We need to be supporting each other and loving each other. And it does take a village to raise kids. Like, let's yes. be real. We, we often fall short. We've been through a hard two years. So it takes a village. We need to be standing in support of our family, standing in support of our women, standing in support of our men, you know, helping bridge the gap where there's people that are struggling. If we can meet a need, then let's just do it. That's my opinion. <laughs> Actually, oh, hold, yeah, hold on. <laughs> that holy fire, it's coming out. I just realized there's a clock here, and I forgot like how to think about time, so I have no idea where we're at, Josh. Doing great. Couple oh, okay, okay, all right. Um, uh, for me, I think to add on to what you guys said is just that I think sometimes, too, social media, if we want to talk about that, as a mom, everybody has it all together. Every, you're supposed to be perfect. Every birthday is supposed to be just so. Everything's just right. Every, you know, like everything that's being showed makes it sound like as a mom, you have to be perfect. You got to have the job. You've got to have everything lined up, right? And that is absolutely not true. And I think we all can attest to that. We can throw out there what we want, but often it's not the real core of what's happening in the family. Um, next question, Laura. What truth has God reminded you of? over the years of being a mom that has proven helpful in raising your children? There's Just to be real. Like, I, I can really resonate, like, that whole um, Facebook image. Like, I am not traditional. I don't, I don't, you know, up until, like, two years ago, I didn't bake. I didn't cook. You know, I'm not making cookie cut, like, little cookie cutter sandwiches. I'm like, eh. Um, my house is okay. It's a little, little crazy. But I think that what God's just shown me is just, just be you. Do you. Why, why are we allowing ourselves to compare ourselves to other people's standards? And they're not even realistic standards at that. Like, you know, every family is different. We all have different strengths and abilities and God has given us different giftings and every family's going to look different and need different things. So what's the standard other than what the Bible says? Why are we worrying about what the world thinks of us? Like, we, we, we are called to raise godly children. We are called to love them unconditionally, and it's going to look different from house to house, right? But when we have the Word of God as our foundation, then that's, that's it. That's where we build our house, right? So go out and do you. I think we've always had the sign up in our house, as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. And that's definitely our, our foundation, definitely. Um, I think as a mom, 
over the years, one of the tough things is to remember is that your children are really not your own. I mean, God has gifted them to us to take care of and to raise up as young men and women for Christ. But I think that often it's difficult and hard to, I continually have to pass them over. You know, I think at Cassidy, so excited for her. He loves her more. So he constantly reminds me to give them back because he does what he does for them and I can't. So just trusting him, continually giving them over, over and over and over and over. I'd just like to add something to the last question. Um, I, I hope I didn't make any of you working moms feel like what, like what you do is not important because mm. it's important too. Um, I, I was fortunate enough that when I got married and had kids, it was easier to live on one paycheck. Hmm. And it's, it's harder now. There's, there's a lot of people that can't afford if they don't both work yeah, to right. be able to afford the things that they do. And I know that it's because I've, I've done both. I know how much harder you have to work yeah. to, uh, to really instill those values in your children and to, and to teach them how much you love them and how to love God. Yes, very much. So that's the truth that God's reminded me is that he's always there. He's, he's got our back. Mm. He's always ready to forgive. And, you know, we have the story of the prodigal son. Um, but one of my favorite verses is Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It's because of God's great love that we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. That's his faithfulness. That's great. And he is faithful every day, all the time. Thank you, Jesus. And he still reminds us of that on a constant Mm -hmm. basis. (laughs) Always. We were driving along somewhere one time. I don't remember where we were going. And I was thinking about our oldest son, who seemed to be going in a direction we would never have chosen for him, as, as actually all four, four of them did. Um, and, and just out of the blue, I thought, and I know it was God saying, well, do you think Joseph was happy in the prison? I've read a book recently. No, he wasn't. Joseph wasn't happy in that prison, but God needed him to be there to make him the man he needs him to be. And that was what I took away from that with James. He needs to be where he is to become the man that God wants him to be. And so you just, okay, God, you take over. Yeah. (laughs) Which you should have done in the beginning anyway. (laughs) And he gives us the wisdom for our own children, not for everybody else's. Very good. Yeah. You can just hold on to that, Marian. I think this is probably one of the easiest questions for all of us, is uh, if you could narrow down to one thing that you really want for your children in this life, Marian, what would it be? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, that's yeah. always the answer, right? Yeah. I don't want them to settle for being just saved, though. I want them to have a relationship yes. with him. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, me too. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, life, life is tough and it's messy. And there's lots of things that we want for our kids. Um, but things come and go. 
and Jesus is always there. And yes. if you have Jesus, you can get through all the rest of it. Amen. He has the fruit of the Spirit, builds character into our lives. Um, we know that he knows the plans that he has for us, plans to prosper and for good. And says we can ask for wisdom. So we can get everything else there. Amen. Same here. I can remember getting the baby book out when I was pregnant and thinking about what things are. But I mean, it says, you know, what do you want for your children? It's definitely it. It's a personal encounter. You know, they come along on our coattails as we teach them. But when they get that personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, that is what we want, to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul. That's the goal, right, ladies? I echo that. And I, th I think there's excitement when you see your kids becoming their own person. So like mm -hmm. my, my, the cry in my heart is that they will have a hunger and a yes. thirst for Jesus. And what does that look like? Like every, everybody's different, right? We all have a different gifting. We have, you know, a different call on our lives. And I've, I've been talking about that with different people, like the call on your life. Find out what gives you that passion. Find out what gives you that joy in serving Jesus. What has he asked you to do? Because I believe there's a difference between a job, because you can work anywhere, but what's your calling? What, what gives you passion and joy? Because I know I've found it. Like where, where I'm working at, I, I love it. It's one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, but there's still joy and adversity. So for my kids, I want them to love Jesus, serve Jesus. And where are you going to go? Where, where is God going to call you? What amazing things are you going to do for the kingdom in the name of Jesus? And to know that I had some small part, maybe I sowed some good seeds, and to know that I had some small part in that just makes me incredibly grateful. So I think that um, we role model that. And, and another thing that I really appreciate is, you know, we all have different people in our congregation. We have mature spiritual uh, women and men of God that have, have, you know, raised their kids and grandkids. So we need to be asking them for their advice and, and coveting their prayers and their mentorship. And then we can always mentor down as women. You know, there's always like a teenager or maybe, you know, someone younger that is looking to us to set a good example and to pour into them. And I love that whole image in Titus about, you know, mentoring up and mentoring down. So mm -hmm. that's important. Yes. All right. Thank you, ladies, and happy Mother's Day to everybody. What's that? Thank you, ladies. That was really good, wasn't it? Yeah. I think each of them said, I don't know if I have much to share and I'm not comfortable on stage. Well, I think they all proved themselves wrong right there. So, yeah. Thank you. Um, being a mom is a miraculous privilege, but it's also this heart-gripping, difficult calling all at the same time. So, um, I just want to share a story with you. And before I do that, uh, Rick and Sheila Langell are here, and Rick caught me before the service and told me that there is a mom participating online today by the name of Svetlana, and she fled from Irpine, Ukraine, and she's currently in Finland. She and her daughter, Anastasia, they shared one winter coat 
between the two of them. Uh, they were just approved their visas to come to Canada. Uh, Rick and Sheila are taking them in. And along with this, uh, they have organized uh, some furniture and houseware donations. They have some storage units in Halifax. And they're preparing to receive Ukrainian refugees in this season. So the other day, he told me about multiple families who came in, three or four families. And they had all the items prepared and were able to help out in that process. So if you want to do something really practical this Mother's Day to help out families in a time of need, then you can chat with Rick and Sheila after the service. And uh, yeah, there you go. A mom in a difficult season caring for her child. So Svetlana and Anastasia, good to have you guys participating. Okay, let's... <laughs> Let's get into that story, because, uh, yeah. Whew. Um, Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you would. I just want to share this story quickly as we close. Story of a mom who had to give her child up for adoption. Because she couldn't care for her child, couldn't protect her child in this season. And God brought the child miraculously back to her so that she could raise her own child. So let me share this story with you. Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph that Marian referenced who rose to become second in command of Egypt and brought them through the famine, brought his family in. Now the people of Israel are multiplying. Verse 9. He said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. You ever feel like you can control your kid, right? Like you just don't want them to leave. You got to keep, keep a grip. We've talked about releasing. We're going to talk about that more. Verse 11, therefore, set taskmasters over them, afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom, Ramses. But the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread abroad. You ever make a stain in the carpet and you try and scrub it out, but it just kind of spreads, you know? My daughter spilled dirt on her carpet and we sprayed it with stuff and we were scrubbing it and it just kind of spread. That oppression, that persecution, that affliction, that, that scrubbing caused the Hebrew people to spread and to multiply. You can see the same in the book of Acts. Verse 15, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, kind of like a doula, isn't it, Carrie? Midwives, uh, one of whom was named Sifra, which means fairness, and the other Pua, which means shine bright like a diamond, basically. Moms always know what's fair in the situation, don't they? Like, I can't tell you how many times my kids say, Mom, Reese did this, or Jade did this, or she's telling on me, and Mom is the one who seems to have the answer for what is fair in that situation. And then shining bright, bringing brilliance out of the dirt. And moms, what you do day in and day out, it can seem like mundane, routine, the diapers, the baby over the shoulder, the throw up down the back. But God is working brilliance out of the dirt, just like that pearl, that bit, that grain of sand gets brought into this beautiful Beautiful item. Verse 16. When you serve as a midwife, Pharaoh says to these two ladies, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, 
You see them on the birth stool. Anybody give birth on a stool? No, don't raise your hands. If it's a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall live. In our life group um, on Thursday night, somebody referenced King Herod killing all the male children under the age of two because the wise men came and told Jesus the appearance, told King Herod about Jesus and the appearance of the star. And the angel showed up to Joseph in the dream, flee to Egypt to protect the child. You remember that? Well, this is what's happening in Egypt. All the male children under that age. But, verse 17, the midwives feared God. They did not do so as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? You let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous. They give birth before the midwife comes to them. I don't know if anybody's got a birth story like that. When when Elsie was in labor with Reese, uh, we took these, um, I don't know what, prenatal ca- classes, I guess they were called. And they talked about Braxton Hicks and they talk about how uh, these labor pains are going to come on, but it's, it's probably premature labor and you're going to be sent home. So just prepare for that. It's going to be a long thing. So Elsie hits me at 2 a.m. on July 22nd, 2015. And she's like, I think we should go to the hospital. Okay, here we go. We're going to go. They're going to send us home. I'm going to get a shower before we go. So I got a shower. I think I made myself a cup of coffee. I got dressed. We got in the car. We got to the hospital. And I think Reese was born like 20 minutes later. So the Hebrew women are vigorous. They give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. I've never caught that before. They didn't have families prior. They didn't have kids potentially prior. They're helping out all these other moms who are having kids and they don't have kids. And somehow, some way, God grants them families. I don't know if that means they're miraculously able to have children. I do know that the family is designed by God. The family is instituted by God. The family is a gift from God. Family is a foundational element that our society is built on, the family unit. Verse 22, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born of the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Verse 1, Exodus chapter 2. Here we get introduced to our main character. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. This is Amram and Jochebed. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Fine child. I don't really find newborn babies look that good. It takes takes a few months, doesn't it, Kate? (laughs) To the kids to look really cute, but when they first come out, (laughs) some people talk about that instant bond with their child when they arrive. I remember holding Reese and thinking, okay, I remember my mom telling me that my head was shaped that weird when when I first came out, so there's hope for this child too. (laughs) It kind of sounds like they 
planned their family, right? They meant to do this. It wasn't a surprise. The man took his wife and she conceived. So they planned to do this. Do you think anybody pulled Jochebed aside and said like, you know, this probably isn't the best time to have a family. Pharaoh is trying to kill all the male children as they're being born. And then his plan B is to toss all the male children under the age of two in the Nile River so the crocodiles catch them. This probably isn't a wise time to have a family, to have a child. Did you ever hear comments like that? Like, I wouldn't want to raise a child in this evil world. I wouldn't want to bring a kid into this world right now. I've heard that a lot. And I kind of understand what's being said. It's not an easy time to raise a child, but I don't think there's ever been an easy time to be a parent. I think it's always been difficult. Being a parent is one of the most incredibly heart-wrenching, gripping callings in your life. Jochebed hid the baby for three months so that Pharaoh wouldn't throw him into the Nile River. Mothers sacrificed for their kids. Three months of isolation, trying to keep a newborn baby hidden, trying to keep a newborn baby from crying. Verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. They found baskets like this in the pyramids, apparently, um, in archaeological sites. They've unearthed baskets just like this. So I don't know if she was attempting to create like an Egyptian-style basket so it would look a certain way. Maybe this is part of her strategy. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. It didn't probably flow down the river like the cartoon Prince of Egypt showed. She, she put it in a strategic spot, and then she had her daughter... Stand back and watch. Verse 4, his sister, Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, we don't get a narrative of what's going through Jochebed's mind, but I have to assume that she's got some strategy here. She's got a plan. She's not just throwing her child into the river willy-nilly. She kind of has an idea of what might happen here, and she's thought it through. Maybe she's watched the Egyptians, watched their daily routine. Okay, where is the Egyptian princess going to be at this time of day? Where can I put this basket? How can I make this basket so it looks as... Where can my daughter hide so that she can watch what takes place? I wonder if she's thought this all out. I wonder if this is part of her plan and God's faithfulness worked through it. Three months is pretty early to release your child though, isn't it? Verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him. She had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Somehow, some way, it didn't matter to Pharaoh's daughter that the child was a Hebrew. She had compassion on a crying, defenseless baby that's all alone. But here's how our God works. Not only does the midwife spare the child at birth, not only does God protect the child in the basket in the Nile, not only does Pharaoh's daughter have pity. Look at what happens, verse 7. Then his sister, Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, Jochebed, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away. Get this interaction here. Jochebed just gave up her three-month-old son. 
I don't know if she worked out the percentages in her mind of whether the child lives or not. What's it looking like here? Pharaoh's daughter brings the child, or I I guess Jochebed went to meet her, and they have this conversation. Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So not only does Jochebed get to have her child in those early years and wean him and grow him and be able to set those foundations in the Hebrew culture, in the Old Testament, in the law, but then she gets paid for it. Pharaoh, the one who's trying to kill these male children, is now paying a Hebrew woman to raise her male child. That's how God works, isn't it? When the circumstances seem like so totally against, like how is this going to work out? And in the end of a rope, in her time of need, when she gives up her three-month-old baby, God comes in and says, not only can you have your child back, but I'm going to use the enemy to pay you to raise your child and give you protection. That just blows my mind. Verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. That's adoption. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So I just want to end with this. Mothering is a tough calling. And in an unorthodox style, in an unorthodox family unit, in a difficult season, when raising a child may have never been harder than when the most powerful man on earth at that time is trying to kill your child, God worked through it. God worked through the faith of a lady named Jochebed who was willing to give up her three-month-old son and God brought him back with interest. God's a faithful God. I loved what these women had to share. What do we want for our kids? We want our kids to come to know and love and experience Jesus Christ and have a relationship with God the Father through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the mission of our church. That's the journey that we're sharing together. That's disciples making disciples. Mothering, fathering, parenting, mentoring, discipling, being a big brother or a big sister, being an aunt, being an uncle, being somebody who's older, teaching and training the younger, setting a good example. These are all aspects of our mission and our calling. Would you stand with me as we pray for moms on this Mother's Day 2022? And then we want you to take advantage of the gifts on the table out there, mothers. If you're interested in helping with family camp, there's a quick meeting directly after the service. If you want to talk to Rick and Sheila about gathering houseware and furniture for refugees coming over from Ukraine and the surrounding areas. There are so many ways that we can be God's hands and feet right now. Would you pray with me as we pray for moms today? God, we just thank you so much for our moms. Thank you for the ladies in our life who have cared for us, nurtured us, set examples for us, pulled us aside when we had scraped our knee or when we had lost a friend, 
comforted us, encouraged us, corrected us when we were doing wrong, taught us so many of life's lessons. God, I pray for those today who find this to be a difficult day. Would you encourage them? Would the faithfulness that you showed to Jochebed be a faithfulness that they get to experience in their lives? You're a God of miracles. You're a God of healing. You're a heavenly father. You've grafted us in. You've adopted us. You took us from the kingdom of darkness and death and brought us into your own kingdom of light. God, we thank you that you are a great heavenly father. God, we pray a blessing over our moms this day. Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? Would you give them a vitality and a vigor? Give them a passion for you, awaken the fire within? God, I pray that we would see a movement take place with our moms, that they would instill values and foundational elements, the principles of scripture, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the next generation and that they would then be able to see the fruits of their labors and your faithfulness as that generation goes out to show the world the love of a heavenly father shown in the face of his son, Jesus Christ, and illuminated and revealed by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you do this, we pray. Bless our moms this day, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.